Uh, Open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 90. Psalm 90. We sang just a few minutes ago from generation to generation, you never change. And I was thinking about how the last three days I've spent with my dad, who is 93 years old, and was remembering how he and my mom taught me about Jesus and brought me to church, and how the truth of the gospel was transferred to me and my sister and my brother. And then that gospel has been transferred by only by God's grace. I want to stress that to my children. And now I have sitting before me grandchildren who are hearing the gospel. And that same truth and life is being transferred to another generation. We must learn to think generationally. We live in an age that thinks only of today and what can I do today that'll make tomorrow better? Most people don't think, what can I do today that'll make 40 years from now better? That's how the Bible thinks, and we're going to see that in this psalm today. We're going we're to look at the psalm starting with just one verse. So we're going to look at this one verse, which is the heart of the psalm, and then as we go through this sermon, we're going to show how the rest of the psalm brings us to that verse. So let's read Psalm 90, verse 12. And let's read it remembering these are God's very words. So, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Let's say that together. Can you say that with me? So, Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We see in the, what's called the superscription to the psalm, there's a little uh, heading before the psalm begins. It goes back to the original text. It's called a prayer of Moses, the man of God. So Moses prayed this prayer and wrote it down. Moses lived a long and amazing life. He led the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness, and there they lived for 40 years where he was able to bring them to a place where they could enter the land of promise. Moses faced enormous problems. You know, we look at the end result and we think, oh, piece of cake. Yay, Moses. Go, Moses. He had a hard life. And he needed wisdom constantly 
for not only how to live his own life, but how to lead a million people. We live in a day in which everyone is worried about tomorrow. We all worry about what to do today so that tomorrow will turn out good. We make plans for vacation today, so we'll have a good vacation next summer. Our parents teach us to plan out our schoolwork so we'll get a good grade on the test later in the week. We save money today so we can buy that speedy new bike later this year. We go to grad school so we can get a better job when we're done. We worry about tomorrow. You know why we worry about tomorrow? We think we can control tomorrow. But the Bible says we cannot control the future. We can. But that, just because we can't control the future, doesn't mean that we can't live a good life, a satisfying life. The Bible says here in Psalm 90 that we need to learn to number our days. So what do you think it means to number your days? What do you think that means? To number our days. Does it mean that God wants us all to learn math so we can calculate how many days we've been alive? If you do that, uh, my days add up to about 23,330. Well, that can't be what Moses is thinking about. Numbering our days means that we should count the things we have experienced in life and try to understand what they mean. Okay, so we look over our days in light of the total number of our days, whatever that number may be. I don't know how many days I get. You don't either. And then we try to understand those days and our experience of those days in light of who God is and what he says. Because we get wisdom from numbering our days. Let's say some days you feel really sick. But other days you feel fine. You don't know why some days you feel sick and other days you feel fine. So you begin to keep a record of what you eat. To use the word that Moses uses in verse 12, you number what you eat each day. And with that numbering, you also number how you feel each day. And after a few weeks, you realize that whenever you drink soda pop, you don't feel good later that day. And from that, you learn wisdom. No soda. Gatorade. Only. This psalm teaches us how to number our days so we can find joy in each day. So let's take this apart now. Let me give you the big point, and then we're going to break it down from the psalm. Here's the big point. When we number our days the way God numbers our days, we can learn to live in His wisdom. When we number our days as God numbers our days, we can learn to live in wisdom. The first thing we need to see in breaking down verse 12 is that God, God, God must teach us how to number our days. You can't figure out how to number your days by going to any place else but to God. He's the one who can 
teach us to number our days. We can't figure it out for ourselves. You try to figure your life out on your own, forget about it. When the verse begins, teach us, we have to think about who is the teacher who does the teaching. And it's obvious God is the teacher. The Bible is a book that is God's teaching for us. These words are God speaking to us. God teaches us about who he is. He teaches us who we are. He teaches us what the world is. He teaches us how to live in the world. He teaches us how to number our days. Now listen, lots of people are going to tell you how to live your life. They'll tell you how to live so you live longer or healthier. They'll tell you how to live so you can have lots of fun. They'll tell you how to live so you can get rich. But only God can teach you how to number your days so you get a heart of wisdom. So we must let God teach us how to live. Number two, to number our days, we must look at who God is and what God has done. Verse 12 Look at the first word in verse 12. It's one of those little words, and we often skip it. So. So. So tells us to look back at what comes before the verse. In other words, everything he said in verses 1 through 11 all lead up to so. If we understand what verses 1 through 11 say, we'll be ready to learn what from God how to number our days. So verses 1 through 11 prepare us for numbering our days. Look at verses 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God made everything that exists. There's nothing that you can see or hear or learn about that exists that exists apart from God. He brought forth the mountains. He formed the earth and the world. And before the world even existed, God existed. We, you and I, need the world to exist. Okay, if the world went away and you were left, what would you have? Ah, nothing. We need God to exist. If God went away, nothing would exist. God doesn't need anything outside of himself to exist. God doesn't depend. God, you know, it's like if all the air left this room, well, we couldn't breathe. If all the air left this room, God would be just fine. He doesn't need the air. He doesn't need the world that he created to exist. 
So if you want to number your days, you need to understand that God made every day and God made the world you live in every day and He made you every day. The fact that you're alive today is because God has allowed you to live today. You're totally dependent on Him. Now look at verses 3 and 4. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Now, they didn't have clocks back then, so a watch in the night, somebody would sit up and they would break the night down into three-hour segments. Every person God makes dies. We think that our lives will go on for a long time. If you're young, typically, you think only really old people die. And then you look at yourself and say, I'll never be that old. And so you don't think about dying. And that's good. We don't have to think about dying all the time. But compared to God... Our lives don't go on and on. They have an end point. God's life has no end point. Compared to God, our lives are very short. Now, you've probably heard of Methuselah. Who's Methuselah? Oldest man in the Bible. Lived 969 years. Years. You know what God says about Methuselah's life? For him, it's like 9 o'clock at night to midnight. That's how long it was. Just goes by. For God, it's just a watch in the night. So, to number our days, to get wisdom, we have to remember our lives are very short. Very short. Now, verse 5. You sweep them away. This is people. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. You know the other thing you find out? You want to get a heart of wisdom? You know what you find out? All success is fleeting. Maybe you're seeing a lot of success right now. Maybe every class you take in school, you get A's and A's and A's. And you think, piece of cake, easy peasy, I can do this. Maybe you just got a big bonus at the end of the year because you're super successful at work. You want to gain a heart of wisdom? You know what you need to think? That success is like the grass that sprouts in the desert in the morning from the dew that fell on it overnight. And by the end of the day, it's all withered. Right now, the news media is talking a lot about the people who died this year who used to be really famous. Famous musicians, famous sports people, famous politicians... And they go through a list of who we lost in the last year. Some of these names I look at, and they were a big deal to me 
when I was a boy. But if you're younger than 30, you've never heard those names. They don't mean anything to you. That's what our lives are like. They fade and we are forgotten. The promotion, the sales award, the championship trophy, graduating cum laude, the family photo in which everybody is just so beautiful and happy. None of it lasts. It quickly passes. So there's another preparation for numbering our days. Now look at verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger and by your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities. That's a fancy word for our sins before you. Our secret sins in the light of your premise. Our sins, as I'm sure you have heard, our sins invite God's holy wrath. We're not simply victims here of the circumstances of the world. We participate in the rebellion that has messed this world up so bad. And we can't hide it from God. He hears our innermost thoughts and sees the behaviors that we think we can hide from everybody else. Nobody will ever know that. God knows. And now verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon God, and we fly away. Even if we live a long life, you can measure your life by the toil and the trouble that came in your life. Of course, there are periods in every life, periods of peace and prosperity. But we tend to remember most acutely the arduous nature of living, the toil, the day-to-day grind, as we call it. And we tend to remember the problems that we had to face in the past, sometimes that never got solved, and we live with them today. You want to get wisdom? For living a life where you number your days aright, we need to remember that. Verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? At the end of our life, we die. The ultimate evidence of God's displeasure is his anger toward us because of our sins and the consequences of our sins. That's not really a happy way to prepare to number your days, do you think? But if you have all that in mind, you can gain a heart of wisdom because it leads us to verse 12. And what's that first word we saw in verse 12? So. So. Verse 12 leads Moses to pray in light of God's power to create the world and God's power to give life. His power to take life away and God's power to give success and failure and God's power to judge our sins in light of all this, all this, all these things that God has displayed before us in verses 1 through 11. He says, now you're ready. Now you're ready to be taught. Now you're ready to learn. Now we're ready to pray. Oh God, teach us to number our days so we can live in wisdom. So this is how we number our days. We count them 
as each one under God's watchful eye and careful control and awesome power. And so number three, we want to explore this. Counting our days this way makes us wise. Now, you maybe you've heard that word wisdom a lot. Have you ever thought what wisdom is? What's wisdom? It's having the skill to live in the world according to how God made the world. Okay, God made you and he made the world and he made you to fit into his world in such a way that it is harmonious and good and beautiful. Wisdom allows you to live in God's world as he made it to be lived in. Okay, so we need, we need to find skill. We need to find skill in some pretty basic things. Let's go back to an eating illustration. My wife, Nancy, makes delicious brownies. And sometimes she buys vanilla ice cream. And when you put the two together, you have the most awesome dessert on earth. It's not wisdom to eat four brownies and eight scoops of ice cream in one sitting. God did not create your stomach or the rest of your body to absorb that many brownies and that much ice cream all at once. If you're a fool, that's the opposite of the wise person. You'll eat like that and you'll get really sick. So you've got to look back, count your days and figure out not that much. Well, we need wisdom for all kinds of things. Not just how to eat, but how to work, how to use money, how to treat other people, what friends to be friends with, what people to avoid as friends. If you want wisdom for how to live in God's world according to the way that God made the world to work, you must begin by considering verses 1 through 11. You must begin with who God is and what God has done. But wisdom is not just for our successes. You know, I've found a lot of people my age, we, we had this idea that if you lived your life in obedience to God's word, you just have success in everything. Guess what? It's not true. <laughs> That's not true, but I believe that. I believe that. And I needed to gain wisdom. Wisdom is not just for our successes. We need wisdom for when things go wrong. Sometimes it seems like nothing we try works out well. Sometimes it seems like no matter how wise we are, God seems to be far away and all our efforts fail. Look at verse 13. He says, teach us to number our days. And then he cries out to God. He says, return, O Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Now when the psalmist says how long, he means how long will God allow us to suffer? How long will God allow everything to go bad for us? But I want you to notice something. In verse 13, he's praying. He is praying. And notice who he is praying to. He says, return, O Lord. Do you see that word Lord in verse 13? You see that word? How's it spelled? All capital letters. 
But in verse 1, it's not all capital letters. The psalm begins, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. But in verse 13, he says, return, O Lord. Well, when it's in all capital letters, it's a different word and a different name for God than the one that has the small letters. When Lord is spelled capital L, small O-R-D, it means master. The one who's in control of everything. The boss. The one who can tell you what to do and when to do it. But when it's all capital letters, it's God's personal name that only His people may use. It's like nobody else can call your father daddy but you and your siblings. It's a personal name. It's a special name. Well, God's personal name, we don't know exactly how Moses pronounced it, but it sounded something like Yahweh. And it reveals God as the God who personally saves His people and who personally has fellowship with His people. It reveals God as the God who loves His people. Now compare this to how the psalmist speaks to God earlier in the psalm. In verse 1, he calls Him Master. Sometimes we think that all God is to us is someone who gives orders and tells us what to do. A lot of times kids growing up think, oh, Christianity is about obeying the commands of the Bible. I'm sorry. No, it's not. He is the master. He can tell you what to do, but he is so much more than that. At the end of the verse 2, God is, he is called God. That's a different name for God. This name means the one who creates everything. He has power over everything, but he's not personal to us. He's like the force. Power. But you wouldn't call him dad. In verse 13, as Moses is trying to learn to number his days to get wisdom, and his Lord and God seem far away in his trouble, he calls him Lord, Yahweh, the God who knows me and knows his people, the God who is behind what is ever causing our pain. And he reminds the Lord, this has been going on for a long time. But notice this. Now we're starting to really get to the wisdom in verse 14. Notice, I'm sorry, in verse 15, he tells us that he's been afflicted. Look at verse 15. Let's look at that. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. So Moses says, we've been experiencing deep pain, physical pain, mental pain. And he realizes God is behind whatever is causing his pain. And it's been going on for a long time. But his prayer is not first and foremost that God will end the cause of our pain. This is where the wisdom begins. He's not praying for God to end the pain. He's praying that God will satisfy us with his love so that we can rejoice and be glad in his love every day. Look at verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad 
all our days. All the days we saw recounted in verses 1 through 11. The days of pain, the day we die, the day there's trouble. He's praying that he would be satisfied in the steadfast love of Yahweh even on those days. This is deep wisdom. It's hard to get. When you come to know the God who controls all things, who made all things, who has perfect wisdom for all things, and then you know that that God allows people to do bad things that make the world bad, and that God causes us to be hard for all of us, our first prayer, if you want a heart of wisdom, is not to pray for God to remove the cause of our pain, but for God to show us His steadfast love. God's steadfast love. It's His loyal love. It's a love that never stops. It never gives up. It never runs out. It's a love that He has for us even when our lives are hard. Even when He seems far away. When seeing God's love and being satisfied with His love causes us to have joy. See, you can be in pain and have joy in God. You can. I know. I'm not always there. In fact, it takes me a while to get there. But we can know love and joy every day if we number our days aright. Even the hard days. This is the deep wisdom that God is teaching us through this psalm. To know His power and His wisdom and His love. To know Him in each of these ways is enough for living a wise life. And living a life of joy and gladness. Even when the road of our lives is very hard. Now, please don't misunderstand. There are plenty of places where we pray to God. We see in the Bible, we pray to God to remove hardship. And He does. He heals our diseases. He removes the attacks of enemies. But sometimes it goes on a long time. How do you live in the meantime? You say, oh, joy will come when I'm healthy again. God says, no, I'll satisfy you in my steadfast love. In the depths of your sickness. There was a Christian man who lived 200 years ago in England. His name was George Mueller. He was looking around in the society he was living in, and he noticed that there were more and more children whose parents had either died or they could not care for their children any longer. They had no place to live, nobody to take care of them. So George Mueller, because he loved God and he had compassion for people, he created homes for these children. They called them orphanages. They were homes for groups of children who had no parents to care for them. He brought in caring adults who would watch over these children and see that they were fed and kept safe and given some schooling. Now listen to this. Because he had compassion on these children, he started doing it with just a few. But over his lifetime, do you know how many children who had no home he provided a home for? 
over 10,000. And we look at that number and we say, wow, what a wonderful man George Mueller and those adults who helped him must have been. They must have been wonderful Christian people. They must have lived a really happy life caring for all of those children. But I want you to think about something. Think about the pain that George Mueller invited into his life. Is there anything sadder and more painful than a child who has no parent to care for him? And what about the daily burden that George Mueller took upon himself to have enough money to feed and clothe and house all those kids? So he took on a life that would make anybody deeply sad and constantly worried. So how did George Mueller learn wisdom in the midst of all this pain and need? You know what he said he did? He said he got up early every morning before the sun came up and he would read his Bible and pray. And you know when he would stop? He said he wouldn't stop until this point that his soul was happy in God. So even though his work was hard and it brought a lot of pain to his life, he would get up in the morning and get his soul happy in God and then he'd say, okay, now I'm ready to begin my day. He was praying with Moses, satisfy us in the morning with your steadf- in your steadfast love, so that we may rejoice and be glad all our days, including today when you got up in the morning to ask God to satisfy you in His love. The satisfaction that you can find in God and in the love of God is not dependent on any circumstance. We can know it on any day. George Mueller learned to get his soul happy in God. He was not happy that the children had food, although certainly that made him happy. His happiness was not dependent on everyone being fine, being happy, being cared for. He was happy in God. He learned that he could be satisfied in God's love for him and that this could cause him to rejoice and be glad even as he cared for thousands of needy and hurting children. This is where God's wisdom takes us. No matter how hard our life may be, we can know God's love and be happy in the love of God. We can be satisfied in Him. We can say, He is enough for me. prayers of this psalm continue into verses 16 and 17. Let's look at them as we finish up. Now Moses prays another prayer. Let our work be shown to your servants. Let your work, I'm sorry, let God's work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God not only wants this generation to know his power and his love, but he wants the children of this generation to know his power and his love as well. 
Parents, you need to teach your children to be satisfied in God regardless their circumstances. They need to see that you are satisfied in God and not simply in circumstances. This is how you transfer an awareness of who God is that we saw in verses 1 through 11 to another generation. You get your soul happy in God, even in the face of trial, and your children see there's somebody to be known behind my parents. Only God can establish our work and make it last into another generation. And this especially applies to the work that we do every day. It must be sustained by faith, especially in the painful times that seem to bear no fruit. And I would add, it needs to be sustained by God in the prosperous times when it doesn't seem we need God anymore because everything's going great. We need to be satisfied in His love. And there we find wisdom for the rest of our lives. Now, before I finish this sermon, let's ask the question, is there anybody in the Bible besides Moses who would show us what this looks like? Who would show us what it looks like to be satisfied in God alone? You know where we see it? It's in Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus knew His Father loved Him. And Jesus loved His Father in return. And Jesus and His Father loved you and He loved me so much that He was willing to endure the worst pain possible. The pain of God judging a person in anger. And He did that so that future generations would not have to know the pain of God's judgment. That was not planned (laughs) for this sermon. But I'll bet that there's some smaller person who was behind it. (laughs) Jesus is the last person in the world who should have died on a cross. Jesus is God's Son. Jesus has never sinned. Jesus deserves no punishment. He came into this earth, the earth He created with the Father and the Spirit. He lived in it. And He lived in it just as it was. Broken down like it is today. But He was satisfied in His Father's love. So He could endure living in this world and could endure dying a horrible death at the hands of wicked men and under God's punishment because he could see what we see in Psalm 90 verse 16. He could see that the work shown to him would be shown to his servants and then passed down to other generations. The work of Jesus on the cross has transferred from generation to generation to us today. As the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, Jesus went to the cross with joy, not over the cross, but joy over what would come into the world because of his death, that many people would come to know and follow him into heaven. He was satisfied in the love of God, and he endured pain because he saw joy was on the way.
We can learn from this. When we number our days the way God numbers our days, we can learn to live in His wisdom. And we can make that statement even clearer by saying, when we number our days as Jesus numbered His days, we can learn to live in His wisdom and even deeper wisdom than Moses understood. This is the wisdom that leads us to the satisfying, ever-satisfying, unshakable love of God. A wisdom that can never be taken away. Let's pray. Lord, we conclude this sermon by turning and addressing you and asking you to teach us to number our days so that we could present to you a heart of wisdom. That we could live life the way you designed life to be lived. And given your power and your wisdom and your love, that's a good life. So teach us, Lord, in the midst of toil and trouble, in the midst of disappointment in the midst of prosperity. Teach us to number our days in such a way that we can present to you a heart of wisdom because we've been satisfied in your steadfast love. And that's enough. No matter what day we face today and tomorrow, your love is enough. And for this, we thank you and we praise you and we sing to you and we testify about you because you are enough. And so now, Lord, receive this prayer and this song in Jesus' name. Amen.